How do you establish and know your worth as a creative? Do you ever wish life had an undo button? Walking the balance between business and the creative life can be hard. But Matt and Shelby are here to attempt to answer the tough questions, so you don't need an undo. Presented by Made by Things, this is The Command Z Show. And welcome to the Command Z Show. I didn't know it was recording. <laughs> I was looking down. We usually get a countdown and um, the I missed it. So no worries. apologies for the delayed start, everyone. Uh, Shelby, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I, I'm missing our, our little action intro, though, there. And welcome back. Welcome back <laughs> <laughs> to another riveting episode of the Command Z Show. I like it. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Uh, thanks. We need like a little like walk-up music kind of thing to this, maybe? That's true. I guess we kind of have our, we have our little intro. Yeah. But, I don't know. We probably need to change it for something a lot more metal. Probably. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> let's make that happen. Next week. All right, anyway. Anyway, <laughs> uh, anything, anything new? Um, new? I don't know. I've been writing some other things doing some new things um working on a novel at the moment which has been a real real spin for me usually writing screenplays so you said a novel i did i did not know this what is this novel about if i'm allowed to ask um it's 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 a little bit um my film background but like it's so it's a little uh ingmar bergman-esque but kind of put into a novel format um a little existential piece, but it's like been it. a very like different. It's been it's been a new a new challenge. So that's where where my headspace has been. Been reading a lot. So I like that. I I have been recently trying to actually go the somewhat opposite direction of trying mm. to write more children's books. Yeah. Um, I much more prefer speaking to children than I do adults. Mm. I don't know. Adults are generally boring and kids are really creative and just weird. And much more forgiving when you say something like stupid too. I guess that's it. Where it's like, well, I see, can just be I'm, silly. I have the hardest time talking to kids. I'm just, I'm awful at it. So I'm, I'm always pleasantly surprised <laughs> when children like me. So yeah. like, I was talking to my, my friend's niece um, like a month ago and she remembered me like several weeks later. She's like, mm. how was your friend? It's like, oh my gosh, I'm memorable to a child. Listen, I, I, I hope you don't take this one way, life but... Don't take this the wrong way, but you are a character, right? Like you have a oh, distinct appearance. <laughs> and I mean, I like to think that I'm somewhat of a character, but like my thing, my brand is the, the glasses and the hat. So it's really nothing super crazy. But I I have to imagine even for a kid, you'd be hard to forget, right? I mean, uh, a, a random a random girl in South Dakota with a beret. I suppose it's, <laughs> it's a character. <laughs> Right. Um, nice. All right. Well, it's take me so many places, but <laughs> let's uh, let's stay on topic here. Yeah. Uh, Shelby, you have a question. I do. Let's uh, let's um, get into it. As a writer, there's been some things on my mind as of late with the news of the writer strike. So I thought we could chat a little bit about that today. And the big question overall is: How do you establish and know your worth? As a creative, 
That's such an interesting question. Um, there's so many little facets of, I guess, how to properly answer that. Mm-hmm. My mind immediately goes to confidence. Um, but let's go. Let's go here first. You know how, like, sometimes you go to like an art museum, and you're like, okay, this is like a couple of brush strokes, or a banana taped to a wall. Right. Did yeah. you hear this? Did you hear this story? The oh, kid yeah. took it the off because he was took it off and ate it. <laughs> anyway, they were saying that this this piece of work uh, was valued at like one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, it was a banana taped to a wall. Right. So it's one of the things that it's, that's always fascinated me about. Just I guess more of the fine art world, but I think that some of that trickles into every creative aspect um you know obviously when i was younger i was like that's crazy why would anyone pay that much money for this thing Mm -hmm. and i think it leads to a a lot of places right but ultimately it goes to supply and demand if there is a high enough demand for something then you can charge as high as you want, right? As 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 high as somebody will pay money for anyway. Yeah. So I guess when we get into that fine art world, um, all, there's a lot of pretentiousness with a lot of that stuff. And again, I'm I'm all for it, right? Like, yeah. Do do you right? If it works, do it. <laughs> um. Like. I think the one thing that I've, I've learned from a lot of, like, that side of things has been, like, is my worth based on just the hourly rate that I charge something? Am I just measuring my time that it took to create this thing and that's just how much it's worth? Which is how all of us as yeah. children and as we grow up and we, we work in jobs, that's generally how we measure our value is how much is our how much is one hour of our time worth to somebody else? Yeah. Um, and some of these people will spend less than a day painting something that then generates $1.5 million. And a lot of people really fail to understand, like, like they think it's like blasphemy, right? It's just outrageous. And maybe it is. But when you can create something and there are multiple people willing to spend a higher amount on that thing, that's pretty incredible. That's pretty powerful. Um, like we, we saw things like, like Beeple's NFT that mm-hmm. sold for, I don't remember, $60 million, something like that. Insane. Um, it is. It's, it's crazy for normal people <laughs> to <Yeah>. think about <laughs> if I had $60 million, I certainly wouldn't be buying this digital piece of art. Um, but there's something really special about it still that, um, I, I mean, he spent most of his life creating these every days. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think it's on like 15 years or something, something crazy. So every morning he created a new piece of art. I don't think he was ever intending to sell it at any point. It was just his practice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but during that time, he managed to build up an audience, an audience of potential buyers, we'll say. 
And when it came, I mean, obviously we saw the increase of, of NFT. We saw the rise and a bit of the fall of NFTs. I, oh, yeah. I believe it'll rise again one day, but completely so. different. So at, at the beginning of that rise, we see somebody that's, I mean, again, many people that are interested in purchasing this thing, being part of that rise mm-hmm. of NFTs and of a, a pretty popular artist that I believe one day will be in art history books. I think he kind of solidified that after the sale. Um, And he, he certainly, I mean, that that was an auction. He wasn't necessarily putting that price tag on there. It was just something that auctioned all the way up there. And I guess that's the thing is like, if, if more than one person want your thing that you created and they're willing to spend that amount of money on it, they they value that thing probably more than you even do as the creator, which is mm-hmm. again crazy. So I think that goes to to one end of the spectrum right there. I think if we get back to get back to Earth here a little bit and start talking about us as individuals, I think some of that still applies, right? This idea of um, you're worth what somebody will pay. I think that's ultimately what you're... I don't want to say your worth as in, like, yep. your personal worth, right? It's your worth. Yeah, the, the value of the work that you create, right? Um, there's so many things I want to talk about. I'm trying to figure out the right order to say it. <laughs> um, but we see it on a company-to-company basis. Mm-hmm. We see it on a city-by-city basis, right? Like, so... If you're in California or New York as opposed to somewhere in the Midwest, well, demand for the supply of people that can do great work in those areas, while is high, is getting lower by the day. So they generally have to pay these people more. Um, Also, the cost of living is higher in those places. So the asking price is generally higher. But ultimately, all this always comes back to supply and demand. And, you know, I guess pushing that aside now, there's also, like, there's clients that approach us. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they offer us $500, and sometimes they offer us as much as maybe a million dollars. And it's just batshit crazy on the differences like that much of a difference for a conversation that feels very close to the same Mm -hmm. (laughs) in both of these cases like it's it's crazy like you never really have any idea you're like what does this person expect this to be like are they expecting this to be a $500 thing or a million dollar thing like I have no idea like you need to kind of measure what their expectations are uh, before you can ever give any sort of quote to people but Ultimately, it, in, so there's the supply and demand component, but there's also the value component of how much value do you actually create for the work that you are creating? Mm-hmm. Now, again, this is far away from the fine art side where it's art. I'm talking more about like creating brand content and creating things for businesses, right? So if you're able to generate millions of dollars of value 
then spending a million dollars to have something made is really a no-brainer. Yeah. Whereas there's people that come to us and they're like, I have $500. It's like, okay, well, you don't believe that the value of this thing is really that high. And that's why you're offering like a much lower amount of money, which maybe there's someone out there that would be perfect for that, right? Mm -hmm. I, I made a whole post on Made by Things website. It's called How Much Does an Animation Cost? And I go through like, all right, if you're taking emotion out of it, if you're taking like, I don't know, what you hope something would be completely out of the question. I have a, a range of like what to expect at different dollar amounts. And it starts at $500. And it's like, great. So this person is likely high in demand because their rate is so low. But because they're high in demand, they don't really have time to focus on anything. Yeah. So don't expect anything amazing. And if you can, if you can be okay with that, go in that direction like you totally should it makes total sense as a business but now if you start to value that quality a little bit more you have to start climbing up that ladder a little bit to be able to get the exact thing that you're looking to make right not cut any corners um i guess you could say doing it the right way right The, the same as hiring somebody that can do an entire roof on your house for $500 as opposed to $15,000. There is a difference. (laughs) And I can assure you. (laughs) Yeah, I assure you it is quality, right? Um, So all things that you kind of have to think about as far as like that value to the work that you do. But um, let me, let me pass it over to you and get a response from you on some of that stuff. Yeah, I think this is an interesting conversation, especially especially right now because of the time that we're living in and the way that we value creatives and what they can provide. There is that there is that kind of just base expectation, especially like I mean obviously we work in animation. If you give us a $500 budget, the animation is not going to look like the new Avatar movie. Right. The quality is going to be very different. And, you know, if we have all the time, the budget in the world, yeah, we can make something of a very, really high quality. But you also have to have that expectations as as somebody going in and buying this product or service. You need to understand the worth of what you're of what you're purchasing, you know, and that's you're purchasing a creative's time and ability, really what you're doing. And you need to understand what that worth is. And of course, the creative needs to price appropriately and understand that. Because there is an issue where if you do go too low, you do kind of harm the overall industry as well because it creates an expectation on all creatives to to put their worth at that level as well, to put their worth that low, which is which is difficult to be in that in that environment. Which kind of comes into the strike that's currently happening as a segue. Um there are, I think they're called scabbers, which come after non-union writers to write for big production studios while strikes are happening. Which, mm. in this case, if you are a non-union writer and you write for one of the struck companies, you will never be admitted into the WGA. And of course, the WGA is the Writers Guild of America. So a lot of that comes into, what is your worth as a writer... Or what is your worth as a creative? 
even if you are outside of some of those protective areas. So to give a little bit of background, I'll just hop into this just a little for any, any listeners who are unfamiliar with the strike. So the WGA, Writers Guild of America, represents 11,500 writers in film, TV, etc., entertainment. Um, the first strike... Um, or this is the first strike in 15 years. The last one was the 2007 to 2008 strike, which lasted three months, but had really, really like big lasting effects. If you look at like the Oscars from that year, it's a total wild show. It makes absolutely right. no sense. Um, so the WGA is basically up against the AMPTP, which is the Alliance of Motion Pictures um, and TV Producers. So that's kind of where we're at at the moment. Nice. So a lot of this comes from streaming and AI, which is really fascinating to me. So they've been in negotiations for the last, like, however many months, like six months or whatever. So streaming, the series budgets have increased. Writers' budgets have not increased. Or they've just stayed the same. Or they've even decreased in some areas. Um, a lot of streaming writers are making about $130,000 a year in L.A., which yep. is not enough for LA prices and LA yep. income. Um, not to mention the budgets of the streaming and however much money we're paying for streaming is crazy at the moment. Right. Um, so a lot of these writers are making minimum union pay. AI is also a big part of this. So the union had gone and spoken to AMPTP and said, hey, we want protection for our writers against using artificial intelligence to write these shows. So, you know, we can't just, like, plug in episodes of Friends into AI and get new episodes of Friends. Of which, the response, <laughs> of which the response from AMPTP was, we will renegotiate this on a yearly basis according to how technology has, um, you know, evolved at that time. Which was not a, the response that <laughs> the writers were hoping for, obviously. Right. So that brought in what is the worth of writers in the age of streaming and artificial intelligence and chat GPT and where do we fall in with this? So the writers went on strike this week. Well, and when this episode airs, it will be last week. Um, so currently, that is the big question. And it's a very strange position to be in because, especially like for me, who writes independently, I'm non-union, which is fine. I don't live on either coast. No big deal. I get it. Um, but you do want to stand with your fellow writers who right. need this representation. Um, so there is this overall lasting effect on the entire creative community because this does affect everyone. Because if there are no scripts, there's nothing else being made. This affects your crews. This affects your producers, your directors. This affects audiences. Already SNL canceled the, like, their, right. their episode for this weekend. I mean, and I, I've got a friend that works on SNL. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very strange, strange place that we're in at the moment. Because this really does affect all creatives, even if it just seems like it affects writers. So how exactly do we step from this where we're at the moment with how we don't know how long the strike will last. Last one was three months, but I mean, the, the one from 1988 was like a year. So how do we, how do we 
go from that environment, bring it into some of our, our local creative scenes, knowing our worth. Right. <clears throat> that's, I think that's a really interesting issue. That is, I mean, it definitely plays a, plays a part in some of the stuff that we were talking about. Let me start, let me start with the AI part mm-hmm. of things. Um, I, I think I would have to see more specifically. I wonder if it's something that is just being talked about or if something that's actually being done. And like, again, like I, I hear it, like I get it. It makes sense. But I'm like, it's hard for me to just like completely say that, that AI is the devil. And we had, we had a, yeah. a, a podcast about this, that. This is the really nuanced conversation about AI. It's right. fascinating. So there's a part of me that says that a lot of the talk right now is simply based in fear. Mm-hmm. And it maybe it's not actually happening. Again, I'm just from my perspective, it's not like I sit here and read all these articles and I know all the answers to everything. But I, I do think that part of the fear is is justified. But I, I, don't, I don't think it's necessarily a problem today. I think it could be a problem 10 years from now. And I think that's why this is like, hey, we need to talk about this right now. Yeah. We need to figure this out because this could be a, a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess my mind goes to the fact that Hollywood in general has, how do I want to say this? I don't want to say they're always interested in taking advantage of people, but they are always interested in getting very high margin projects going what is the best deal right and it it makes as a as a business that's generally what you're looking for is like okay i want to spend as little amount as i can on something and make the most that i can on it but i think that some of the practices that they've always had not just lately it's it's always been there Mm -hmm. um has been a bit um what's the word exploitatious (laughs) um and another part of it is that it kind of goes back to us as kids. Most of us, we wanted to make things when we were kids. So we're happy just to be in the industry, right? Yeah. And they take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, you could do this thing and get all of this notoriety. Um, you can be a writer on this thing. You could star in this sh- movie, right? Yeah. Uh, but you got to do it for pretty much nothing. Mm-hmm. And that's... That's something that exists in the entire industry. Like there are, we get requests often to pitch things for free. That's a common thing in the industry. Mm-hmm. I generally say no to these things because it just usually just makes me mad. Like you're telling me that if I work hard on something, I have a maybe 33% chance of actually getting paid to continue working mm-hmm. for you. Like, I don't know, man. Um, it's pretty messed up, but this is such a common thing in the industry. Whenever somebody speaks out against it, you know, people are like, oh, well, I guess we're never working with you. Like you kind of yep. get blacklisted a bit. And that's, uh, for me, I'm, I'm okay with that. I don't, uh, there's plenty of people for, uh, for us to work with. I don't, I don't know. So anyway, I'm getting a bit off topic, maybe a little bit here, but, um, it, it's something that's existed in the entire creative industry or people that generally have the money and maybe not so much the creative ability. Mm-hmm. 
and are looking to have them make the things and have it done for as cheap as humanly possible. Yeah. And when it comes to unions, I mean, I, I don't have a hard stance on unions. Like I, I believe that they've done very good things for just work in general in our history, but I do think that sometimes they get maybe a little bit over the top. Yeah. Um, where, again, I'm not gonna get any specifics there. I just, that's my, my general thought, thoughts on unions. Um, but there are certain fights that need to be had and unions are generally the ones that fight those fights. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know what the answer is for that because again, I'm not necessarily against using AI for things, mm-hmm. but these are jobs that could potentially be removed from these unions that are I mean, their jobs are protected by the unions themselves. Like, their job is to fight for these things. Yeah. So, you know, what what do you, what do, you do in those cases? I'm going to throw that back to you. Let's, let's go there. Shelby, what do you do in that case? See, it's, it's interesting because, like, for me, as a writer and the use of AI, I get it. Like, chat GPT to throw up an easy post. I get it. Like, simple. It's, it helps you. It gets you there. Right. But when it comes to some of that, like understanding your story and understanding characters and world building, I mean, there is, there's a very specific skill and that comes with anything. Right. It comes with animation. It comes with production. It comes with illustration, everything. There are skills that, you know, we've spent years developing and working on and we don't want to just be, oh, well, we can replace because a computer can do it right. in, you know, 0.5 seconds it's um it's hard because you know as creatives we know i think we kind of know our worth Mm -hmm. and we we appreciate what we can do and we're proud of what we can do we know our skills but then sometimes when it comes to actually pricing that out that's a, that's a tough thing because you're pricing out something. It's, it's like, it's your child, you know, it's your baby. It's what you do. It's who you are. And like to price out who you are is, is hard. And especially if people don't understand or see the worth in it. And I think that's something we've seen in creative industries, you know, for a long time. And you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't ask your, your accountant to do like, oh, well, can you just like give me a bid? on just right. like look at my right. finances and give me a bit on what you what you think you'd do it's right. it's it's something where you know we can ask these things of creative people because we don't value it as much and it's hard because we kind of have to force our way in and say yeah this is valuable you see content every single day all right. over the place art you're surrounded by art so i don't know i'm gonna throw it back to you then because it is hard. It's hard. It's, it's a tough thing to do to be able to put value on yourself and to understand your worth. But I think a lot of it does come with being confident, like you mentioned earlier, and kind of standing your ground a little bit. Right. You know, not saying I can do this, you know, something that would take a $50,000 budget for $500. Right. Yeah. So getting to that, it, it brings up a lot of, it brings up a lot of different things here. Um, Let's start with that idea of probably the, one of the most common questions I'm asked by like freelance people and other people in industries, like how much do I charge for this thing? Mm-hmm. 
And it's like, well, that really depends. How good at that thing are you? Yeah. And then it's like, like it's not a simple question. Um, I think most people revert to the idea of like, well, I'm just going to look at industry averages and then just be somewhere in there. And that's that's one approach. Sure. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It's not the it's not the only approach. I think that to to find where you fit in the market, like if you again, this is this is why agents get paid a lot of money, right? So for athletes, for artists, whatever, agents are the ones negotiating this stuff because it can be very painful conversations to have. Mm-hmm. Like I, I again, I always go to like athletes where there was like the story of this one guy that decided to represent himself and he did an okay job, but I think he was like talking about like, they don't hold anything back in those conversations. They will point out every little fault that you have as a way to tear you down, to reduce that value that they have to pay for you. So it's like, well, they have an agent in place to just, you just figure this out. Like you get as much as you possibly can for me, and I I will trust that you have done your job. And um, I, I I guess we somewhat have that. We have you know artist representation stuff like that. They they help with those things too. But yeah. when you have to start facing some of those things yourself, you will have to accept the pain for your baby, right? Like you you talk about like this is the thing that we've cultivated our entire lives to be able to to do and if somebody starts to say like yeah well it's not it's like okay like they get much more descriptive than that but like they will it could be hurtful right yeah and if that's hurtful that will affect the work that you do so Mm -hmm. i think part of it for me has has been about like how do you find a way to completely remove emotion from the money conversation because Again, whether you feel like you are worth millions of you know, every time you touch a napkin or whether you feel like you're garbage and you can't do any good work and you shouldn't really get paid for it. Um, either one of those things is not really helpful in these these conversations. I think for me, it came to a point of, okay, well, you got to start somewhere. Like if we're talking about actual dollars here, like you got to start somewhere. What's it, where's it going to be? And for me early on, it was paying attention to what some of those averages might be. Some of those websites that talk about things. And I'm like, okay, well, let's see if this works. Mm -hmm. And it's up to the individual to go in one of two directions. One is they start booking projects. Awesome. But I'm really busy and I can't really keep up with all this stuff. So I guess they have three different options at this point. They can, one, increase their rates, knowing that more people are going to say no, but that's okay because you're, you're just, you're spent, you're too busy. You're not able to do your best work right now because you're just too busy. Um, you could choose to just stay where you're at and be okay with that. But again, you're, you're getting better. You're providing more value. Even even when you think you're staying the same, you're providing more value over time, but you're kind of going backwards on your rate over time as well if you do nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess those are kind of the two options. Cause, but what happens is that some people get, they find their confidence. They're saying, wow, 
I was charging $30 an hour before. I raised my rate to 50 an hour because why not? I was too busy. And then all of a sudden they're like, I'm not busy enough now. Yeah. Uh-oh, what did I do? And over time, somebody's like, hey, I have this job, but it's only $20 an hour. Do you want to do it? They're like desperate at that point because they're like, oh, I need something, just anything. Please, yes. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, now they start going back to the bottom whenever they do that. Yeah. I say these things because this is this is me. This is what I've, what I've done myself, right? It's this idea of a scarcity mindset. When you don't believe that you are worth the number that you are suggesting people pay for you, you will start to become desperate and you will start to just accept whatever. And again, this is, this is a really, really hard thing to do. But again, when we get projects in, there are times where we're like, you know what, like we just, we need to just kind of get a project going. Let's just take something. But even still, we have minimum engagement fees that we charge for people which gets really awkward whenever they're like, oh, we just need like a simple illustration of this thing. And I'm like, all right, well, great. Here's our minimum engagement fee. Is that good for you? And they're like, wow, that's way too high. I'm like, yeah, I know. You should definitely go to somebody else for this. Yeah. <laughs> like, so like that, that's the conversation I have to have quite a bit. I think when I did the math the last time, it was something like 75 to 80% of people we have to say no to. And it's almost always based on budget. Yeah. So that kind of, I mean, we have the benefit now of many years in business to where we kind of know where the market is. We know where we should generally be. We know what people will say yes to. Um, But I don't know. For an individual, I think that it, it does. It takes that confidence and saying like, okay, it is time to raise my rates. It needs to go up. And when you make that decision you got to stick to it because um, that's part of the whole climbing thing yeah. is that if you're not going up, then you're kind of going down. Yeah. What are your thoughts? That, um, that confidence though, especially like on an individual basis of, okay, these are my rates and I'm going to set it and I'm going to stick to it and not feeling that pressure because I mean that is you're right that's completely true like why we have agents is so we don't have to sit there in those meetings right and have them tear us down because that's horrible you don't want somebody to do that to your work and when you are able to go in with a little more confidence which I think comes with with time as a creative as well Mm -hmm. it's hard to just come in you know guns blaring straight out of art school saying, well, these are my rates and I'm sticking to them because people will laugh at you, you know, and they won't understand. And you you haven't established your, your value as an artist. Um, so a lot of it does come to, to being able to like have that establish yourself some, I think it's, it's very different once you've been in the industry for a while, you, you do have that established, um, name or brand, You know, people know something from you. So you are able to kind of walk in and have a minimum fee or to even, I mean, some people even like, okay, well, this is how much it costs to be able to have a meeting. And some people are able to do that because they have taken the time and established themselves. But until you do that, you do have to just kind of create that confidence for yourself as well. And sometimes it's a little manufactured 
and you grow into it and you find it. Um, but being able to set rates and stick to them and understand them and have a meaning behind what your rates are because you can't just start saying numbers, you know, you have to have a meaning behind it and an understanding, you know, data analytics. Um, and then just standing your ground with it. I think that's a lot, which I mean, that's probably more of a final thought, but, um, yeah. I I think that the standing your ground thing, I think is a a key point there. There, there obviously is a, a time where markets go up and down, right? So I'm not I'm not going to say like you should never take anything on, but yeah. look at the percentage of things that you had to say no to, because the budget wasn't right. Mm-hmm. That number is supposed to be generally high. If that number is this is this is how I look at it from us on a month to month basis. I'm always looking at like all right, how many project requests came in, how many of them actually booked, why didn't certain ones book, and I keep track like okay if we lost this one why did we lose it was it because of budget great. Um, I just, I need to know these things because again, every couple of months I'm like taking another look at it. I'm like, okay, well this month we had X amount of leads come in, but they, this many dropped off because we were too much. Mm-hmm. If it starts to get really, really high where I'm like, okay, 90% of people are having to not work with, all right, I need to, something's happening in the market right now. And maybe I need to make an adjustment at that point. But that's what I'm talking about whenever I'm like saying remove emotion from it. Cause yeah. it's like, I... If if I don't think that's a problem, then I'm going to stick to whatever I said. But I let formulas do the thinking for me as much as I possibly can. <laughs> yep. So that's what helps me. And that, that's what helped me out of that scarcity mindset was like, no, no, no. I'm just looking at a formula and it's telling me I should tell you no. So don't blame me. I'm just the messenger. <laughs> <laughs> um, that That's generally how I look at it. Um, not to say that I never let emotion into that, because there are times again where it's it's hard. It's not something that you just get over and you're done for the rest of your life, right? It's something that's a constant battle. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but there was another thing that I was going to bring up that you were talking about, and I can't remember. Um, I don't know. I guess yeah. Just what I would say though is just try to keep track of data and make decisions based mm-hmm. on that because it's going to be much better for you in the, in the long run. And it is important to be able to, to like, especially looking at like market prices and, and what's going on just even globally, financially too. Um, because you do have to reevaluate your worth mm-hmm. at times and you have to remove emotion to be able to do that. I mean, thinking about the strike, last strike 15 years ago. Okay, well a lot has changed in 15 years. Right. You know, the market is completely different, which is the whole reason for the strike. Right. And when you're working on more of an individual basis or a small studio basis, you you have to kind of see what the market is doing at, at whatever time, you know? Obviously the market is very different right now than it even was a year ago. So however, you're going to have to kind of reevaluate that looking at it every couple of months, you know, at the very least doing something like at least every six months to kind of see where you're at and where you're falling and looking at your data is so important because otherwise you can fall behind. Right. So what I would say, kind of going back to this AI thing again, I guess my general approach is always to don't blame anybody, take responsibility and try to solve the problem yourself. Yeah. That's that's my general mentality towards pretty much everything. 
so I'm looking at it where if I'm like, okay, if I'm traditionally a writer and again, if I actually think that there's a legitimate fear that I could lose my purpose there, Mm -hmm. what do I do differently? Because yelling at, at somebody else and telling them that they need to pay you even though they have this other thing out there is kind of ridiculous, right? Uh, again, not not suggesting that's like, like I, I get it. I understand where they're coming from. But at the same point, they're not going to solve that problem for you. This will be a problem for you. So you and it need will to, continue I, to be a problem. Right. So like as a writer, and I'm, again, I'm calling out writers specifically here, but I think it exists everywhere. Where it's like, if you feel like something's in danger and you do nothing, well, survival of the fittest, right? Like... Mm-hmm. You, you haven't adapted to the world around you. Not to say you have to die, but... <laughs> uh, but, like, that's that's kind of how I generally feel about it, is, like, failure to adapt means mm-hmm. death. Um, yeah. Well, and I think a lot of this, especially, like, with AI and everything else, um, it kind of forces us into a new wave of creativity, I think. Mm-hmm. Because, for me, I am less frightened of AI on the basis of the things that I write because Mm -hmm. I write weird stuff. I have a really distinct voice. It's like I'm influenced by weird things. I combine things that probably shouldn't be together. And I, and I have a weird voice because I have a lot of influences from a lot of rando places. Right. And so for me, I am less afraid of AI being able to steal my specific voice because it is very distinct from other common voices in the industry. But if you're writing a sitcom show, right, right, it's a lot easier to steal that voice, which is so challenging. And I think it will force a lot of us, you know, understanding our worth into creating something very new and distinct, which honestly, I'm very excited about. Right. I think we'll get a lot better work overall, just across creative fields in general, because we will kind of be forced to make something very new. Right. And you'll be forced to not be able to phone it in. Yeah. Yep. Right? So to me, and this kind of carries over from that conversation we had before, but um, the people that are racing to the bottom, you probably should be worried right now. Mm-hmm. But if you are trying to race to the top of this game right now, I think you have less to worry about. So yep. when we, yeah, like, I mean, you said it already, but like when we talk about writing stories if you are writing stories from personal experience things that caused you great emotion in one way or another i just don't see a way that ai will be able to do that and maybe to be able to write it but how about to be able to make it how about like to be able to look at costume design and say like "Mm, no that's not right like actually like we need to do this because it's going to inflict greater emotion into the scene. So I don't know. I mean, I think that trying to find ways to, to reach the top rather than like, all right, so what are we writing today? A little jingle on something. Great. Whatever. Let's get this over with. You should 100% be worried and you should be looking for either a different career or, (laughs) um, or, I don't know, some way of being able to make what you do more unique. Mm-hmm. So to me, like, you know, I think about the short film that I made and I'm like, 
would somebody else be able to write that? Maybe. But nobody had the exact experience that I had. I wanted people to be able to see things through my lens yep. over a certain time. So I guess that's the one one side of it. The other side of it is I think we'll be able to create more art with our time rather than like always doing the brand stuff. Exactly. So from a personal perspective, let the robots take the sitcoms. <laughs> Yeah. Right. And I I say that because like sitcoms is a general sense. There's some good sitcoms out there that I think were just really expertly written, whatever. Um, But man, if I can try to find a way to still make money and then be able to do my art as Mm -hmm. as a piece of art, like, hell yeah, that's a world I want to live in. Let's do that. Um, Again, I know there's a lot to that. I know there's arguments against that idea, but. I just think that there's no stopping it. You can't. Not even a strike will stop it. A strike will start those conversations, which I get. Yeah. And I, it 100% will. And I'm really curious where things end up in the end. Um, but I guess I just feel like any time that you're fearful for your job or fearful of your identity being taken away from you, then you kind of have to look within and figure out what is your personal next step in things? Mm-hmm. I feel like this is going to piss a lot of people off, but that's my thoughts. <laughs> well, I, I, it's, it's rough because I, the thing is like AI don't use it as like something that you should be afraid of. Don't view it as something you should be like fear. It's a tool. Right. And if they can use it, so can you. Right. It's it's not something that you can just be hands off of. You can use this too. Right. And I think that that's something that we should be less afraid of. 100%. So, you know, we were talking earlier about like blog posts. Like mm-hmm. AI can write entire blog posts. It would be interesting. If you start to notice that this robot is writing blog posts better than you, one option, yes, just to use the use the robot. Um, but chances are, there is a different way to write something with a human touch. So I think that's where everyone's kind of being forced to right now, and it's making them really uncomfortable because they're like, "Well, I'm supposed to be thinking about SEO. I got to use a certain key phrase." Like, great, again, AI can do that. Yeah. But what can't? AI do right now. If you want to continue writing blog posts, you're going to have to do them differently. And one of those things is going to be probably the end of blog posts altogether and the rise of more YouTube video type things. And like, well, that was, people prefer video anyway. So we should have already been starting that transition, but I don't know. Um, again, not to say that, I, I guess I'm trying to give arguments on, on both ends here. So again, if we go to the Hollywood executives that are just making serious bank and don't have to worry about walking into a bread shop and being like completely bombarded with fans and stuff like that, which I always think is the most fascinating thing about all this. Like these people get paid so much and they get the... Anonymous. Yeah, they're completely anonymous. They they get the the reward of anonymity. Yep. And holy cow, that is... That's a good deal for them. But, I know. <laughs> um, 
so I, I I don't know. I just I I think that they're walking a a tightrope right now. Again, trying to reduce these costs and and get things made for as cheap as they possibly can. They're going to cut every single corner that they can. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to say that these people are amazing people. These are the yeah. people that your agent would have to talk to to negotiate your thing that will tear down exactly what you do because they don't understand it. They don't care. They're not going exactly. to. Yep. Um, so it's, it's fighting an uphill battle, but at the same time, I just, again, if you're a writer and you let something like this stop you from writing, maybe this is my final thought here. Let's, let's go into final thoughts. I'll go first. Okay. Yeah. Um, if you let something like a strike prevent you from writing things, then you're, I don't know. What are you doing? Right? Like, I don't know. I don't know how to say this, I guess, but I just feel like if you're a writer, you should write. And that's the part about the whole like strike thing that I'm just not a fan of is like, they stop these people from doing things. And I'm like, no, no, no you got to find your way to express either yourself or to, to do the thing that you do, right? Well, they're still writing. Right. They're just not doing it for, <laughs> for, money. Right. for the struck companies. Yeah. Right. And so I guess that's what I would say. It's like you can only control so much. Um, I don't know. I probably beat that with dead horse. Beat that with a dead horse? Ooh. I beat a dead horse. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was graphic. <laughs> Going back to the idea of just understanding your value, I guess that's what I would say, is finding a way to remove emotion from this thing altogether. Um, there are people out there like Aaron Draplin. I go to him all the time. He's... It's certainly an inspiration to me, especially in how he runs his business, where he says, like, great, you got $10,000 to do a thing. Let me help you. Mm-hmm. Oh, you only have $500 in a case of beer? Great. Let's do it. Like, for him, he doesn't really care about the market. Yeah. What he cares about is, will I be okay doing this thing? And obviously, if he's working for Nike, he's not going to say, yeah, just give me a case of beer. He's not yeah. going to do that. <laughs> Um, but to me, that's a much happier life. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think a lot of that, honestly, it comes down to, if we're talking about the idea of finances, it's the idea of living within your means financially as a person. And I think that's another big thing that comes with this. If you're used to a life where you have to have a lot of money to support all of your cars, houses, relationships, material goods, whatever. Um, And you're not able to get to that amount anymore. It's going to cause you stress. Uh, The same way it causes people stress if they don't have the money for food. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's two different things here, but it's the same stress that they feel like they need more to be able to afford their life right now, right? They have a hard time understanding where they would even make cuts in their life if they had to. Like to us, normal people, it's easy to see, but for them, it's harder. Um, But if you can reduce your dependency on such a thing as money, then you also 
increase your ability to say no more often to a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, your value inherently increases because your demand increases and you have smaller supply to give. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the full story there. But when you look at people, I mean, we all say it like the rich always get richer. And why do we think that is exactly? It's ultimately because rich people that have a lot of money can say no more often to things. Yeah. So because they're like, oh, you know, no, I'm not going to accept this amount of money for this. I know it's worth this much. Get out of here. Um, so they have a, a much better sense of value. And because of that, it's, it becomes much easier to make more and more money. It's mm-hmm. the weirdest thing ever that saying no to money actually brings you more money. And we also know the power of compounding interest and putting a lot of money in one place can get you more money. And that's a whole other topic here. But <laughs> um, but I think that's kind of what it is, is that sometimes you have to think like a rich person. And that's a really, really difficult thing to just switch on and off, but mm-hmm. something to think about. Shelby, final thoughts. Final thoughts. I think for me with this and understanding your worth, I think there's a lot of opportunities at the moment um, because I think we're going to see a new way to evaluate our worth um, based on the current climate, even beyond just like the strike and whatever. Um, just in the current climate, because I think we will be forced, you know, we were talking earlier, to be more creative. And I think that that is going to allow us to reevaluate our worth in really unique ways that we may not have seen before. And, you know, this is something that happens, you know, like every 30 years. It's like, okay, well, here we go. We have something new on the horizon for creatives to be fearful of. But if we can use whatever we're supposed to be fearful of as a new tool, we can make something very new and very unique. And the people that aren't willing to kind of jump on and adapt and learn will fall behind. So I think it is just reevaluating your worth and what you can do with some of the new tools available to create something very unique and to, I don't know, differentiate your voice so it can't be replicated. Right. I think that's that's a big part of it. Yeah, love it. All right. So for everybody listening still, appreciate you and love you. Bye. The Comancy Show is created by Made by Things. And if you have a question you would like us to discuss, you can send a message at cmdz.show. And if you like what you hear, leave a review. We'll see you next week with a brand new show.